Are you looking for a memorable getaway for your family that's packed with adventure? Look no further than Lake Erie. Powderhook, in partnership with the Great Lakes Fishery Commission, has all the resources you need to plan your adventure to the walleye capital of the world. The best part is, you don't have to be an experienced angler or own a boat to have a fantastic time on the water. While walleye are the main attraction, Lake Erie also offers excellent fishing for yellow perch, trout, steelhead, salmon, and bass. The options are endless, and there's so much to explore on Lake Erie. Knowledgeable and friendly fishing guides are eager to serve you. Whether you want to hire a charter, secure a seat on a headboat, fish from the shore, ice fish, or do a DIY trip on your own boat. All these options are at your disposal with a bit of planning and preparation. Find everything you need at powderhook.com. That's powderhook.com. We know what's biting and can help you enjoy a wonderful fishing experience on Lake Erie. Hey, it's Captain Justin Leet with Chasing the Sun TV. Join me and Meredith for the best fish in action along the coast of Panama City Beach. Tune in to new episodes every Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. River Rats, you are listening to the River Certified Podcast with Spencer Bauer and Ryan Tassler and an array of guests where we cover the fun, interesting, and sometimes rugged parts of spending life on or near the water. We got some more weird stuff floating down river. R- Ramiro sent in a baby doll. <laughs> he saw a baby doll floating down the river, legs up. <laughs> so like it, it maybe it, it was, was a waterhead right it well, was water <laughs> he, he, he thought for a moment like it was a real baby I, I could see that and then it flipped up and apparently it was wearing some a blue shirt and had one eye open and one eye closed and, <laughs> and an axe in its hand <laughs> <laughs> you know i yeah does anyone ever ask you if you get weirded out fishing alone in the dark like out in the middle of nowhere. No, we've talked about it a few times, but no, I I get more weirded out when I'm in crowds around people than I do out by myself. Could you imagine camping out like in on the Des Moines River in downtown Des Moines? We've stayed overnight there a couple times. But camping on the bank all night, like sleeping? Well, we were, I've never slept there. We were in a very populated area for a night. Like, we, didn't leave till morning. But did we sleep? As much as we could. <laughs> right. With the certain crowd that was around. Yeah, I don't remember that. We can talk yeah. about that one later. But um, I don't know. I, I feel a lot more comfortable in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, than, absolutely. Than I, the other one floating down river was from Matt. And I don't know if it was floating or if it was stationary, but he took a picture of a bald eagle chowing down on a dead uh i think it was a moose moose or caribou saw it in, in uh on um, the des moines river yes <laughs> yes um saw it up in canada when he nice. was up there a couple months ago that's cool yeah that's what i thought i've never seen i've seen plenty of bald eagles like balls deep into a road killed deer oh, they yeah. pop their heads up and <laughs> they're not like white-headed they're red-headed <laughs> after that but it, never a caribou huh but never care me. <laughs> Shocking. So I'm here with Tyler Stubbs, fisheries biologist of the DNR, and then Ryan, the flathead assassin, Tassler. <laughs> and we, we, the, 
I don't know if I'll be able to come up with a cringy nickname for you. <laughs> it just has. I've, I've only met him for an hour or so, but he's pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah. He... We'll work on it. Anyway, you want to <laughs> you want to introduce yourself a little bit further than that? <laughs> Go beyond the just the fisheries biologist tag. Yeah, I'm. Uh... Tyler Stubbs, I'm the community fishing biologist for the DNR. Which or, is cool that we have that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's a... Does every state have that? Is that... Is not that, every state, no. Uh, it's the same thing as like an urban biologist. If you've got listeners in other states that might have okay. urban okay. programs, it's the same, same thing. It's starting to be a growing trend as we start to see more of our population becoming more and more urban mm-hmm. and people looking for things to do close to where they live. Uh, this is that ideal market to do that. Gotcha. So that's yeah. my job to work with communities and uh, get the DNR in fishing in places that typically hasn't been in the past. Sure. Which you do a lot of ponds and with stocking and and uh, species management mm-hmm. and even manage the plant life. So that's that's something that allows a large portion of the population in that area to have the best to enjoy not like a rundown well, it's, it's all ground up right like it starts the very basis of every like the quality of fishing in every waterway starts with the watershed itself do you have any any reach within like controlling the watersheds that the ponds control no but trying to you know put that idea into homeowners minds mm-hmm. and developers that you know, if you did just these few things, you could potentially change what this water body looks like. Especially if, <clears throat> especially if you're somebody that you know is com- has a complaint about the weeds in a certain water body or the the vegetation. I guess is a more more biological statement. But, uh, <laughs> this is pretty laid back. <laughs> <clears throat> the aquatic macrophytes. Um, That's what I'm talking. Yeah. About. <laughs> if you've got you know. Simple things like not fertilizing before it rains, mm-hmm. not having super compacted yards, you know, things like aeration on your lawns, picking up dog waste. All those things can have can actually have an effect mm-hmm. on these urban ponds. I mean, we're, yeah. we're not talking about Big Creek or, or other large lakes. You know, we're talking about something that is an acre or less. Yeah. yeah. And <clears> even one construction thing. of the pond itself, mm-hmm. you know, is a huge yeah, detriment that's where we really placed a lot of our eggs in that basket is on the construction side of things and so trying to work with cities and their engineers or whoever they contract on the design of that stormwater basin which mm-hmm. is what the majority of these are right in making sure that we don't have a ton of shallow depth areas that it's fairly steep sided that it's deep as possible mm-hmm. yeah. that it's got some sort of water control structure so they can control the water level if need be are all that's kind of where we've really focused our efforts at sure so it makes sense you know you got to have the best possible environment to get the best out of it mm-hmm. so the, all those things you talked about were like ways you could positively impact the fish these smaller fisheries from a construction standpoint and then like a runoff standpoint but what would be let's say you have a pond by your house what's like a, a so like maybe the number one however you want to say it just something you can do that's simple beyond what you just said that's going to positively impact the fish in those ponds so no fertilizer before it rains pick up your dog crap but uh what what would be something else you could do beyond that so any any sort of soil 
remediation is kind of the so reduce erosion reducing erosion reducing runoff Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of cities in the state of iowa will actually help you cost share things for like composting Mm -hmm. uh water you know uh, rain barrels stuff like that if you happen to live somewhere where you've got a pond in your backyard don't mow up to the water's edge for multiple reasons one you've so got, you don't lose your lawnmower <laughs> once you don't lose your lawnmower but you've also you know that those that taller grass is there for a reason and it's there to it can slow water down that's running off mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's hold, holding that bank in place so you're not seeing right. a lot of shoreline erosion and it's also something geese don't really appreciate and so it helps keep the geese so, potentially out of your yard. which are an issue around here. is it all the the goose shit that's the problem or are there other issues with geese being on small waterways you know, geese add a lot of nutrients to the waterway. They also provide some, which, which is problematic from a water quality standpoint. They can also provide some issues with, with human interactions. You know, they can get kind of feisty, especially if they're nasty. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they don't like to be in places they can't see over or they can't walk over. So that's why sometimes you'll be like, man, why are these giant rocks along the shoreline? Or why is this all this tall grass prairie around this pond? there's a there's a reason for that yeah <laughs> right absolutely i would say the main one is just pick up trash you gotta you gotta ponder around your area i know it's probably not yours if you're conscious enough to pick it up but it still helps yeah. you know it's gonna get in that waterway and just pick it up yeah trash line fishing line is always some yes some trash that tennessee sure we'll come back to a lot of this but i just had a random thought you've been you're getting deeper and deeper into guiding (laughs) tell us about some of your recent trips i struggled so bad last week i felt horrible i had a bill which bill by the way thank you for the beverages for this podcast i took uh, bill out and he uh, donated a case of tasty beverages to our podcast so i appreciate it this one's for you bill (laughs) (laughs) i didn't even need one i just wanted to open one for you but no i uh i took my roofer out last uh saturday night him and his dad and his cousin he wanted to uh do a little barter system he just got my roof done and i run him out on guide trip and it was awesome we didn't we had a uh 10 pounder early and then missed a good one later, but uh, it was it was a great. Oh, trip. dude, talk about that. I'll, I'll get to that. Okay. But it was a great trip because uh, him and his dad don't get to fish much anymore, and he hadn't seen his cousin in years, so they they spent the time, you know, a lot of the time up by the campfire, reliving old stories and having a great time. So, you know, the fishing wasn't stellar, but the time was. So Which was you can't cool. you can't guarantee fish at least well really any fish but you can guarantee a good time yeah that's the way i look at it like anybody who steps in the boat with me i'm i make a point to make sure everybody has fun you know and that's not always the easiest it is not and i deal with people like ryan i know he's pretty high maintenance i uh i'd give you good practice that's what i was thinking like if i could make ryan happy normal person it's piece of cake yes but no, uh, the big fish was at uh, roughly 4.30 in the morning. I was crashed out on my boat. They were uh, crashed out on some cots. And they were very proximity to the fishing rods. And I was downstream a little bit. So I wake up to 
not a click, click. I mean, this thing was hauling the yeah. mail. Like the reel didn't sound like a reel. It sounded like a weed eater. Like, I'm not <laughs> sure how any of them were sleeping, but all three of them were still out. Okay, I, I am empathetic to that because I have a Penn Senator 16-aught, which is the same reel that Captain Quint was fishing in Jaws. And the clicker's kind of loud. And <laughs> By kind of loud, it sounds like a doorbell? Yeah. <laughs> and I drove 24 hours straight, and then... Hopped on a boat with all my stuff, met up with all my buddies. We go to this deserted island. I paddle one bait out. No, I might have paddled two baits out. But anyway, paddled baits out, and I lay down with my head on a cot right next to that reel. And apparently a fish picked it up and ran for a solid two minutes, and I slept through all of it. Like, (laughs) they were trying to shake me awake. Did they catch fish? No. What? Yeah. they, They tried to shake me awake and... I never woke up, and by the time they thought about reeling it in, the fish dropped it. <laughs> but the credit to them that they tried for like a minute and a half, you know, yeah. of the two-minute run. To- I've been like, Spencer. <laughs> oh, it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> and that- but by the time I got out of the boat, sprinted down, because I'm a fat old guy. <laughs> so I sprinted down the bank, got there, and I was about five feet away in my rod levitates off the stick and then drops so i pick up the rod start reeling i'm like wait it broke what before you even had it in your hand yes sorry i just ruined it yes i just ruined the whole story <laughs> that's what he brings to what an folks. asshole <laughs> so i pick up the reel and i get I, I think that he's now turned around and running at me. So I'm trying to pick up the slack, pick up the slack, <laughs> pick up the slack. And I flipped my light on, and he spooled me. He literally broke the knot at the end of the reel and is now running around with a leash of said amount of line coming out of his mouth. <laughs> you couldn't have tied that good of a knot. Because you, you had it sitting in a forked stick? Yes. And the fish... Takes off screaming, and then comes to the end of the reel, pops the the rod off through the stick. Pretty much, the stick was laying down, and then the line breaks. Right, but you're using or like, the knot breaks. There was zero line left. But on the what reel. was what was it pulling against? Like there had couldn't have been that much pressure on that fork stick to snap whatever pound line you're using. I sixty, eighty, sixty. Yeah. Sounds like you need I'm to work just telling on your, you what's happened. You sounds like <laughs> sounds like you need to work on your knots there, bud. Well, I never worry about the knot on the reel. Well, if you have <laughs> if you only have fifty feet of line on the reel, it might be a good idea to start paying attention to that. <laughs> it was just another reason why braid is better than mono. Oh, right geez. here. You know. Oh, Would you like to be an advocate for your mono? Braid more line. So this'll never happen. <laughs> It, no stretch, so you can really smoke them on the hook set and can control them when they're trying to get to cover. You, I, I didn't moved, have a chance for a hook set. <laughs> well, but he was hooked. You probably wouldn't I, I have needed you, one. I promise you he was hooked. <laughs> you gonna, what, what's your rebuttal for the mono? Like, why is mono better? It's what? easier to tie knots. It's more abrasion resistant. No, because yes. with braid, all you got to do is tie a polymer knot, and that's the easiest freaking knot in existence. A blood knot is... Just as easy. No. Yes. Palmer is basically an overhand I, knot with I two got, lines. I got three loops 
a stick between and a stick between. Well, and why, why are you even talking about easier than not? <laughs> Obviously, it's not, or you would have had a better knot at the uh, bottom of your spool. Well, that's not what I put at the bottom. How many of the times spool? did we just say but, not? In like every context, you could say not. We're not going to count. <laughs> <laughs> So what else? So obviously knots are abrasion resistance. Yeah, by far in rocks, logs, which is kind of what we do. I've never had a problem with fish like breaking braid. But you put a leader on, like twelve inches. Well, that's the twelve inches that's going to be banging. No, well, I mean, some it will be there too. But like when you're in a brush pile and you got that braid laid across the big yeah, log, but, but the and main seesaw. The main abrasion it. is. From the bait actually moving, not from fighting a fish. No way. Like, when you... <laughs> what? You got a bullhead down there but jumping he doesn't back have that much for force. three hours. It's, it's like if you have a, a knife and you push the knife against something, like fishing line, and there's no tension on it, the knife is not going to cut the fishing line. But when the, the line is stretched out under tension and you push the knife against it, that's when it cuts through the fishing line. But so the knife, braid, the braid is not like the the bait is not pulling hard enough on the line as it's rubbing up against stuff to truly abrade the line. But then you're that, the scientist. You want to weigh in on this? That that knife is going back and forth on that line for three hours. Yeah, but there's with, going to be impact with no ten, like no tension. The the biggest thing it's it's got to rub up against the stuff under tension. For a more solid result, yes. To, to a but there's the still going to be a result. Minimal, like not <laughs> not enough to truly impact it. Like braid, it would not mono. No, because mono is better. No, <laughs> let's. We need to bring real science into this. <laughs> I understand you're not a physicist. Okay. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Mr. Tyler? Berkeley. You've been real quiet over there. I'm just I'm just taking it all in. Are you a braid guy or a mono guy? It, He's like, these depends. guys are full of shit. Guys. Okay, like, what, what, what does it depend on? So, I like the braid for the strength. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never had braid break. Okay. It is a little harder to tie, but not huh. impossible. So, <laughs> we have one opinion, okay? The expert in the room. I, you know, nobody fishes more than me. I feel like my opinion should carry the most weight. Just saying. I'm yeah. just saying you asked for his opinion until he agreed with me. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I fish for a lot of channel cats, and I, I typically use mono when I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. But so, if I'm bass fishing, I'm using braid. Like if I'm throwing a frog, it's oh. braid all day. You ever do punching? I have. That if. I'd say the two, if I'm going to ever fish for bass, which I haven't, and although I have caught a few bass recently bait fishing, I don't know if that qualifies as bass fishing, uh, but as far as targeting bass, top water or punching, I think, is the funnest or oh, most fun. Sure. Where you just have a heavy lead head and go through the weeds? We had, uh, I had a one and a half ounce egg sinker tight to like a five aught extra wide gap worm hook and then like a creature bait and just literally go bloop yep punch it right through the weeds i think i shoved a toothpick into the or had a bobber stop against the weight so it it stayed where it was supposed to no then i caught a six pounder so that's a good day i mean if i'm gonna that was the last day i targeted bass i'm like well that's a good way to end it (laughs) i'm going out (laughs) 
So why the why the mono with the channel cats then? I don't know. I just haven't had any issues with it. Sure. But I'm not fishing for giant flatheads either doing that. Yeah. But I haven't had any issues with it. To to me, the biggest thing with mono and the like at the end of the day, it really is a preference thing. Like both of them have their positives, both of them have their negatives. I was hoping Ryan would cover all the positives for mono, but I guess I'll have to do it for him. I would, but I had to argue with you the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> to me, to me, not knots are a personal issue. Like eighty pound mono, you're gonna tell me eighty pound mono is easier to tie knots in than like any braid. I will argue that till I'll I'll die on that that hill any day of the week. But uh, that's fine. I tie you up, drag you off the. Hill. <laughs> <laughs> not with 80 pound mono <laughs> um but abrasion resistance is the biggest thing and then shock absorption you could you could argue that like if you're gonna fish braid you probably for catfish like live bait applications with braided line you probably need a softer rod than you do with mono like you can get by with a faster action fishing rod with mono whereas with the braid you're if you have that really fast action fishing rod you're gonna miss some fish because you're gonna pop a hook right out of their mouth especially with circle hooks i'd say oh yeah 100 percent with circle hooks and then even like surprisingly a large amount with with jays yeah like to have that slow gradual build up and let that hook work into the that fish gradually at least with catfish the more they do the less you have to do the better your results oh 100 (laughs) percent. but sometimes they don't pull it down absolutely you know and And that's why jays are preferred at least in my mind for flatheads yes though i've yet like oh hey woody you can probably hear his, his toenails clicking on the floor but um i've used jays for blue cats and they suck well they hit it at like warp speed you would think they would just set it on their own <laughs> well that's true but they don't yeah i bet hookup ratio on blues with j hooks for me was about 50 percent. which like one outing but plenty of results Oh, we, I had 30 bites. It yeah. was it could have been one of the most epic days of blue cat fishing. <laughs> it was in my on life. fire. How many did you land? Three. Right. <laughs> Instead, it was just a good day. Yeah. Or a bad day, however you want to look like it. It felt like a bad day. Well, it changed the way you fish, so. It did. I will That's n- a good day. I will not use J hooks in blue cat water. Yeah, you almost wonder how they used to do it. They used to miss like half the fish. Like. <laughs> <laughs> And then people talk about how catfish are hard to hook, and they aren't with the proper stuff. Yeah, but circle oh, hooks it's, at times they're well, maybe they're one for, of the tough. Well, they're they're tough for you to hook. I <laughs> I don't miss very many. <laughs> I I could go back to video footage and prove you wrong. I don't know. I usually edit that out. <laughs> uh, so anyway, back to Tyler. Back to being an urban fisheries biologist. And which is pretty kick-ass. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So what's like your day-to-day look like? And you said earlier it ebbs and flows, but you can talk about the ways in which it ebbs and flows and, and all, D all the above. Yeah, so a lot of it, you know, I'm working with communities across the state. So <clears throat> the my main focus is... So you're doing urban fisheries statewide? Yeah. Okay. So the main focus is the, the urban areas or the urban metros mm-hmm. and so population density population yeah. density yeah so whether it's des moines or norwalk or bondurant or you know, up in cedar rapids and those suburbs um that's that's kind of the main focus and some of that's because of license holders mm-hmm. and so that's where the majority of our license holders live in about five 
areas of the state. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's the same thing on a national level. Do like, you do you have to drive a bunch? Are you like on the road all the time? Or do you just communicate like yeah. like emails, phone calls a lot? Yeah, it depends. I'd say before COVID I probably drove more than I do now. Sure. Yeah, you know, with the presence of Zoom and Google Meets and all that kind of stuff, that's taken away some of the driving. But right. I still like to get up there and put my eyes on some of these locations first, but yeah. um you know, I'll either find out through communication with the cities or or find out through news articles or or seeing it on social media that, you know, this certain community's got a grant to build a development and there's mm-hmm. likely gonna be a stormwater basin in it. And so I kinda insert myself into those communications and some it's gotta be publicly owned. I mean, if an HOA or something has questions, I'll I'll help them out. But mm-hmm. as far as um my main focus is gonna be ones that are our anglers can use have access do you do you do any work with like private waterways yeah i get phone calls all the time from like farm pond owners um but you're just kind of doing that out of favor versus like actually dedicating time and resources to yeah we point them to a lot of different the majority of a lot of questions can be answered on our website sure and uh, and there's a number of places um you know, pond management companies and hatcheries, private hatcheries in the state. And we've got those listed on our website as well. So, so a lot of times that's what people are looking for. So where on your website can you find information for pond management? There's a pond management page. Like if you just search like, pond management. In okay, there, so you, you just go to the search engine? That's the easiest way. Okay. But I was like, otherwise, you go to the fishing tab and then... Uh, because I've never Iowa seen it. Ponds and lakes. Like and it's never jumped out there. at me. I've been on the mm-hmm. website quite a bit, and it's not something that's ever jumped out at me. The answer to most of the questions is add predators. <laughs> There's some of that. There's some of that. The, probably See, the biggest answer to a lot of pond management is harvest fish. Yeah. You need to harvest yeah, fish. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. It's, I mean... I'm not going to say anything too much. I guess. Give us a call. We'll come help it out. Yeah, if you need, my bait tank gets skinny at times. If you need to eradicate some green sunfish or bullheads, <laughs> or, or even a, bluegill, or or goldfish, yeah. apparently goldfish, is the yes. thing. Which uh, I'll have to get a, a list of of goldfish ponds <laughs> before you take off. I do have a hundred gallon and eighty five gallon just waiting to hold them. Yeah, you know, I'll take care of your problems. Absolutely, and I think my <laughs> bait tank is finally getting back into it. Which, That's good. Yes. I moved it away from the window. I wondered if it was just getting hot from the sunlight. The direct sunlight? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was indirect, but it was still more sunlight than I've ever had on a bait tank. I was thinking the window open would cool it off, and I think it did the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see how convection. We'll see how it plays out. But anyway, so like your your day to day varies, but like give an example of a general like today's a Wednesday. You got Thursday and Friday left for your work week. Mm-hmm. Like what? Without going into too much detail yeah. of it, what 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 do your next two days kind of look like? Yeah. So um, at some point in the next couple of days, we'll be stocking some catfish. We in the fall we stock uh, eight inch channel catfish mm-hmm. uh, from one of our hatcheries, and we've got a few locations here in the Des Moines area, Greater Des Moines area, that we'll be doing that at. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be either today or tomorrow or Friday just kind of depends on i haven't heard what their schedule is yet i probably have an email for it but, sure uh and then, too busy uh, doing important stuff yeah, we've, like. got, <laughs> we've got i've got a couple of vegetation uh meetings coming mm-hmm. up and so that's where we'll meet with the communities on you know they've maybe they've received some vegetation complaints or 
or they're wanting to look, hey, you know, I don't know how to treat this or, mm-hmm. or what do we do about this? Yeah. And we'll try to get them set up with a plan. This time of year, it's for next year. And so, yeah, sure. you know, next May, April, May, you could start implementing. Do these types Your back's of been against the wall the last few years with vegetation. There's with a lot the, of vegetation yeah. around. Uh, you know, it's it's good and bad because a lot of vegetation, a lot of times, especially rooted vegetation, means you've got some pretty decent water quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it can hinder access and become a major problem that are, way. Are you battling a lot of invasive vegetations? You know, I... Or you just... They're they're there and you just... Yeah, it is some, what it is. I mean, there's a few particular plants that we see in a lot of these ponds. Are they problematic for the fish? Not for the fish necessarily, but when you have excessive vegetation, you can start to run into some of those issues of like... Uh, bluegill overcrowding because they have s- so much cover to hide yeah. in that predators yep. can't effectively yeah, can't, eat them can't get access to them and they can be in there and reproduce it and nobody would even know it sure so that's that's one issue with it you know another issue with some of the vegetation problems or um especially if it's all one species it all dies at once oh, or something like that yeah. comes through then we as it's dying it's going to suck up oxygen We'll have some fish kill problems. But. So do you have any issues with any invasives at all in these ponds? Or is it oh, just... Yeah. So what would be like priority number one as far as something you would like... To, if, if you could wave a magic wand and then there was this eradicate. one species... Eradicate yeah. this one species of whatever, what are you, what are you getting rid of? <laughs> we, see, we see like curly leaf pond weed is, is one that's kind of problematic. Um, it's problematic for a number of reasons. It's kind of a weird plant. It'll start growing this fall, mm-hmm. and it'll grow throughout the winter, and and it just keeps growing, mm-hmm. and then yeah. it tends to die back about uh, Memorial Day. <laughs> that is weird. <laughs> Weekend, and uh, you know when when it you know when it's dying back, it's releasing nutrients, and if there's no other rooted vegetation there, it's going to go into algae, and so we see oh. these huge algae mats. Oh. All of a sudden, pop up. So, do they crowd out the other vegetation too? Yeah, I mean, it's got a leg up on it. It's been growing for the last, you know, three months before anything. Yeah, everything else has died, and it's taken the void. And so, it's kind of a weird plant to deal with. It can grow in fairly deep water. Um, You know, we do have some issues with like aquarium species. Um, Are the well? As well, keep going. But I don't know how many of those actually make it through some of our winters. That was my question. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Just the fact that it's probably about as many as the trout. The fact that we have it, you know, and people are are dumping their aquariums or whatever. Or the, What's what? Give it. Give a few examples of some weird fish What's you've sampled fish you've ever in, in, so, in some of the ponds. Any piranhas? No piranhas. I have seen uh, pakus before. <laughs> Almost a piranha. Uh, yeah, kind of a piranha. We've. I had somebody send in a picture. Actually, sent it through our, our social media. Uh, it was some sort of cichlid. I don't know what. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure what kind of cichlid it was, but we've seen a few cichlids, Oscars. Um, <laughs> I bet they would make a wonderful catfish bait. Yeah, yeah. Goldfish, koi, those are are probably the most common. Right. I mean, see, seeing species. a pond with a bunch of goldfish swimming around it is not that uncommon. No. But uh, I've never seen a cichlid. I've never seen an Oscar. But if. Yeah, uh, if I caught an Oscar, I don't think I could use it for bait, just because you wouldn't want to move it around. Yeah, right. Yeah, but that would be weird. Yeah, there's some <laughs> weird, weird ones out there. What's the, so of those? What's the 
have you sampled all those personally or are some of these no, just hearsay? Some of these are, you know, like that one that we just had that was somebody had caught that. So have you ever sampled any weird ones? Um, I haven't sampled any. I personally haven't sampled any weird ones. Or how about a fish that other you didn't think was supposed to be there? Well, other than goldfish, <laughs> uh, we've run into a few species, like crappie especially, our okay. species that just show up, just show up mm-hmm. somehow. Uh, do you think they're naturally moving, or do you think some people are putting them? So they could naturally moving is kind of a. I wouldn't go as far as naturally moving, but there's the they potential is there for people to put them there. Well, then, like, but, how do, how do the green sunfish and bullheads just show up? Yeah, so that's what I was gonna get at next. I guess is, you know, this pond A may somehow be connected through the storm sewer system to this other pond. Oh, okay. And so we tend to see some fish movement through that. And we've seen evidence of that with some fish tagging stuff that we've done, that fish will actually move through those storm sewer systems during high water events. So you've tagged these pond fish just for those particular reasons or for other reasons? No, so Iowa State uh, had a grad student a few years back doing work on some yellow perch Mm -hmm. in some of these urban ponds. And some of those tagged fish... Uh, he had them tagged for a number of reasons, you know, figuring out size. Um, they had stocked them at various sizes, and so knowing what, what original size class that was and how fast it was growing, all that. Well, some of those fish um, ended up in ponds downstream. Huh. Like the river got into it, or it nope. was all sewer? So, yeah, it run through the storm sewer hmm. system. So what about, let's say... I dig a pond in my backyard, mm-hmm. and it sits there all summer. I'd put no fish in it, and then over time, I start catching bluegills or green sunfish or bullheads. It like, are, Do you know how those fish end up in those ponds? Because I've, I've heard it, of that happening. Is it the wives' tale of like on the wings of birds or ducks? or That would be a pretty rare... Event I or would, something like that. To that's happen. what I would guess. Or like but. gizzard shad. Gizzard shad kind of show up in the waterways. Yeah, gizzard shad are a, and take over. A weird beast because I don't know how. I don't know how you move them because they're hard to keep alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I guess in my world, as far as the the urban stuff goes, everything's pretty well connected. Mm. Very rarely is there something that doesn't have through a series of logical or whatever can ways. actually yeah. get in there. Because there's some of those urban ponds that do have shad in them. Mm-hmm. And are they connected in some way, shape, or form to like the river systems that naturally have shad in them? Yep. Yeah, so there's a few uh, in Ankeny in particular that nearby is a creek that mm-hmm. is dry a lot of times. Right. But that creek eventually ends up below the Sailorville Dam. Right. And high water areas that run yeah, up. They can, they can run up there. They've got a lot of will. Yeah. <laughs> For a fish that dies so easy, it is kind of amazing what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then any fish, like some of the places I catch flatheads, I just shake my head sometimes. Right. Yeah. Like, why Why are you here? Yeah. And you just get lucky and find out about some of them. Well, actually, it's you found like a buddy, Denny. Denny found them in one spot that I didn't think they would be, and they're there. And then I'm like, well, if they're there, let's try some other let's places. replicate that. Yeah. And guess what? They're in these other places, <laughs> too, at the right times and whatnot. And that's why he outfished you in the tournament? No. <laughs> 
I saw he released a video the other day. He did. That's awesome. I haven't watched it yet. Sorry, Denny. It was pretty good. Was it? Yeah, it was pretty good. Go check out uh, Float Fish Adventures on YouTube if you want to watch. Denny uh, Ransom. Denny Ransom catch flatheads in dinky creeks out of a plastic boat. And have a blast doing it. He's one of the most upbeat guys. He's pretty that, giggly. Yeah. That's how I would describe yeah. him in his videos. He's pretty good. pretty good guy. Yeah. All right, so that's your that's what your week looks like. Um, yep, prepare for our fall stockings too. We've got a number of new ponds that have either just been built or renovated somehow, uh, like they were drained and, mm-hmm. and dug out. Um, I want to say we've got around eleven here in the Des Moines area, and there's I don't know probably fifteen or so statewide that are new ponds within city limits and you're putting yeah. bullheads in all of them right and, and <laughs> sunfish don't, don't tell all the secrets but <laughs> this will this will just be bluegills probably gotcha um, yeah. for now i mean we'll add bass and catfish later on so you're you're stocking these bass and catfish you're talking about new ones but then you're also talking about stocking ones this fall yep. in already established ponds how do you determine what goes where yeah, so the catfish are about the only thing that will supplement, especially okay. in our urban ponds. Is it because of spawn, like recruitment? Mm-hmm. And is recruitment low just because they're cavity spawners and there's lack of cavities to spawn in? I mean, that's the main reason, is it's just that habitat's not available. But even if it was, we've got such a bass density in a lot of these that mm-hmm. the catfish really doesn't stand a chance. And so, so they get outcompeted. Yeah, yeah, or they'll be eaten. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, catfish are fairly slow swimmers when they're young. And that's why you put so the eight inchers in and not the two inchers. Yep, so they're mm-hmm. eight to ten inches when they go in. Mm-hmm. So they're catchable for one, so that's something the angler can utilize right away. Yeah. And they're also something that's has a really good chance of surviving. Okay, so you don't supplement anything else in ponds? Uh- no, so the bass and bluegill, they'll do their thing naturally and uh, sustain themselves for for the life of the pond typically unless it freezes out or has a spill or something yeah so even when we've had small winter kills or summer kills those fish rebound really quick Mm -hmm. do you uh do you survey any ponds to determine which ones need catfish or is that something you just do like every three years or five years that's something that we're looking into uh it's something that we've started to do every two to three years probably um but as we've grown, you know, we're up to almost 130 ponds here in the Des Moines area. It's, wow. it's a lot of catfish to, to stock. So we're right. yeah. ways to yeah. prioritize and where we've got populations that are we know are well-established and where they're, they're maybe not. Or We're, we're also looking at, um, <clears throat> through some of our survey work, on where catfish are actually wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, for instance, in, uh, one of our research biologists did an urban survey looking at species preference essentially what are people looking for mm-hmm. uh are they looking for a lot of management are they looking for to catch a fish mm-hmm. do they care about the fish do they just want a place to just go want to and catch it or they want they to eat. other yep. amenities nearby mm-hmm. and catfish was kind of a weird one because it's always been a very popular species right uh statewide uh but in the urban areas it's definitely certain areas are are all about it and certain areas definitely aren't really yeah. so looking into kind of diving into to see it, if that's something we can look at to prioritize where our stocking needs. That's are. really interesting for, I guess. Well, that's kind of nationwide. Some areas are bass areas, some areas are catfish areas. Well, I mean, there's going to be some ebbs and flows, mm-hmm. but it's got me thinking, 
We try to get them established everywhere. Well, but, yeah. but growing well, they're up, great for a ecosystem as well. But growing up, when I thought of catfish, I always thought of rivers. Yep. So I suppose there's probably a large chunk of the majority of people who are catfishing are probably focusing on rivers most of the time, and then for ponds, it's probably hit or miss. For but them. they tend to get so much bigger in pods. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the channel cats. Yeah, yes. they can provide a large trophy fishery. Yeah, it's weird how where big channel cats grow. Like what? What some, leads up to it? Yeah, some some bodies of water that you would never expect there to be a twenty pound channel cat swimming around in. He well, can be there. It, oh, yeah. it comes back to the apex predator too. If they don't have competition for the best stuff, then. But you could have pond A has bass, bluegills, crappies, catfish. Pond B has bass, bluegills, crappies, catfish. Pond A has dinky catfish. Pond B has 20 pounders. Yeah. Like, what's the difference? It's water. I mean, and let's say they're the exact same structure because that plays out sometimes. Oh, I'm sure. And they're probably not, truthfully. But that, let's just say that 20 pound pond probably has something that's. There's got to be something that different. That gives them an edge. There's got to be something bass. different. Yeah. I don't know. What, like, you want to weigh in? Like, have you noticed any tendencies for ponds that produce larger channel cats versus ponds that don't? Yeah, some of it's definitely the biomass of, of those catfish. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> the the abundance, I guess. And so ones that we see that maybe we've only stocked it with catfish once or twice, all of a sudden it's got, you know, we, we catch five catfish in the net and they're all 15 pounds right. type of a thing. But and I've that place some, is. Yeah. <laughs> but there are some weird places. uh you know, and we're still learning a lot about our catfish populations in these urban ponds, but there's some really small ponds that have some really big fish swimming in them, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of an oddity. I I don't have a reason for it, but there's some big catfish swimming around in some yeah. of these puddles. But do you, so you, no, the one that stuck out to me is just like population density. Mm-hmm. Like, and you can only support so much biomass per acre. Right. Yeah, it's so, like four to 600 pounds or something like that. So you're going to have... 104 pounders or you're gonna have you know right. what would it be i can't do math however many 20 pounders <laughs> 20 or i don't know anyway so it, you're gonna have more big fish or or, or fewer big fish or, or more mm-hmm. small fish yeah yeah and does that tend to cycle as well have you noticed that over time or is one body of water a big catfish water and another one just a abundance of catfish yeah some of it is that's a really good question there are some locations especially here in the des moines area that um you can go and catch 12 inch catfish all day long mm-hmm. and you won't man. find one yeah. over 12 inches right <laughs> yeah and it's been like that for and a it's while been like that forever yeah yeah and they just not grow. That, no, I mean they're very overabundant, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's something we're trying to avoid too. As we look more into some of our catfish stockings, is making sure we don't Over. accidentally do that and and do that on our own. Is provide something that's real overabundant, something that the anglers aren't going to take advantage of. So that's a weird thought too, because like, how old are some of these twelve inch catfish? Yeah, like five, yeah. ten years old. Is that is that like possible? You have a could ten be. a ten I year mean, old twelve inch channel cat. I think that would be pretty extreme, but you could have some that are definitely older than they need to be. <laughs> <Sure. that> age. <laughs> they just don't have the nutrients <laughs> right. to grow. Yeah. Well, you got lots of competition. Yeah, limited resources. Mm-hmm. 
Same thing with a bass or a bluegill population. Gotcha. Yeah. So you do a, a lot of other things. You talked about the the state fair and how you had a lot of work setting up for the state fair. Like, why why are you laughing about that? I don't know. Like, yeah, the state fair is a it's the best time of year. It's <laughs> a stressful time of year. Like, uh, it, is it one of those that feels it. unnecessarily stressful? Uh you know, some of it's stressful probably because I make it that way. Yeah. Well, the the more I'm sitting here thinking about it, too, it's like you walk into the DNR building at the State Fair, and that's what I always call it. Maybe there's another yeah. name for it. But um, you have all the aquariums, then you have all the fish in the aquariums, and those fish have to come from somewhere, and they have to get moved there, and then the, yeah. those aquariums got to get set up, yep. and then you have all your booths and all the stuff that's in there, and then all your shows. And it's always hot. Oh, well, this year it wasn't. This year it was. This year was awesome. Yeah, it was weird. You got to worry about the water heating up and kill-offs. So anyway, go ahead and talk about what the setup process is on your end. Yeah, the fair is actually really cool. That building's been there since... um, 1926 i think we've actually and got it some looks like it pictures of it <laughs> we got some pictures of like old you know 1930s era cars pulled up onto that cast iron railing mm-hmm. um, that's cool and because that aquarium just stood out there in like a gravel parking lot for oh, a couple it, years it's been what do you mean it stood out there in a gravel so that park? aquarium came first so that was built in like 1926 that aquarium's that old mm-hmm. and then the that's outside structure got built like 28 29 something like that wow and so this was that building the aquariums have seen a few upgrades over the year but nothing like what we've recently had which is all those tanks are new acrylic and so it's extremely clear mm-hmm. um they're you know if, you, if you've been to the fair in the past they're all scratched up and can get foggy and lots of condensation you can't mm-hmm. hardly see the fish sometimes and so now we're really not dealing with any of that kind of an issue so it was actually kind of cool to have something you can really see through mm-hmm. um there's some habitat features in there we had lots of fish species uh the i'm on a team of of three of us that kind of manage that whole aquarium system throughout the fair and just the way that system has been updated and the water quality and and all that we've been able to hold different species than we've ever had before like, uh, like freshwater drum or species that don't typically do well in that aquarium type, type setting. You um, know, it's funny you they say made that. made it all the way through the fair last couple of years. They don't do well in my bait tank either. Yeah. Freshwater drum, carp suckers are species that struggle with, with that type of situation. So, what, do you, what do you think the reason is? You know, I'm not sure. I think some of them just maybe struggle with... Uh, they're seeing a lot of light, for one. Oh, okay. Uh, so I've always wondered if that was maybe the, the cause Stress them out. Additional stress. It's just an additional stressor mm-hmm. that they just struggle to handle. Crappies are what, or species that struggle to handle some of that stress of being moved around. Mm-hmm. Um, those fish come in from all over the state. Well, that's interesting, too, because I think of those as reasonably hardy fish. Cause, and then because you have trout there, too. Mm-hmm. And like, if yeah. you look at a trout wrong, they die. And that was not the first fish you brought up. <laughs> well, those are up. captive trout. They don't know wild. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there was a few wild trout in there. Really? A few wild brown trout. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Uh, but we dropped that. The, the warm water fish come in first, mm-hmm. and then we'll drop that temperature, those tanks down into the the upper fifties. 
Oh, okay. And the day before cool. the fair, we'll bring the trout in. Does that help keep your flatheads from eating everything Absolutely. in the Absolutely. <laughs> uh, keep most of them from not yeah. eating things. But, uh, but, yeah, it's... You ever have one just swimming around the tank with a big largemouth hanging out of his mouth? <laughs> no, we have had some that have gotten pretty feisty and have mm-hmm. eaten quite a few things, but... For the most part, everything stays pretty chill. And, yeah. And uh, the flatheads are always a fan favorite because of just the way they look. Sometimes they'll get up, especially the bigger ones, they'll actually swim around some. Yeah. The small ones just kind of sit in their corner. But the bigger <laughs> yeah. ones will swim around a little bit. And they know where the they show. belong. Yeah. yeah. They, they stay in their lane. <laughs> Do you see that 40 swimming around? I'm going to stay over here. There was a one year that sticks out where there was a giant in there. I, yeah. I didn't see it this year, um, but... I've been there the last three years and then many years before that. And I think when I was younger, like maybe teenage years. There was a good one. There was one that was, I mean, I'd like to catch them all, but I really <laughs> wanted to catch that one. <laughs> yeah, I think this was, we had kind of started looking around and <clears throat> we had up, up to around 42 species in there, uh, over 200 fish on display, which, you know, 10 years ago, we wouldn't even have had 200 fish there. Right. Yeah. So to have that many on display just... It was kind of nice to see how well, all that hard work from crews that have come before me joining, which I'm a very tiny, minute part of it, but mm-hmm. how that's kind of paid off and, yeah. and gives the public a good show. Lots of species that people don't normally see, lots of different red horses and mm-hmm. suckers. and Yeah, it was, it's cool. I enjoy the fair. It's good to have people out and interested and asking questions. So what's, yeah. your, what's your main role then in getting ready for the fair? So getting those tanks situated, making sure we're not having any leaks, mm-hmm. um, you know, making sure everything's running the way it's supposed to, okay. um, getting you know things primed in the water for those fish to arrive, and then you know we work together on organizing those fish coming in. Okay. So certain fisheries management stations have assignments. You know, you bring X many yellow perch and X many pumpkin seeds, and, and uh, just coordinate from there on getting them in there. Gotcha. So you're like an aquarium technician. So if I have bait tank issues, I can get a hold of you. I don't know if I'd be the right person to get a hold of. <laughs> you definitely have more knowledge of that than I do. Yeah. Don't put it near the window. <laughs> yeah, don't put it near the window. Okay. Noted. It's been moved. Don't worry, guys. But we check on it every day. You know, our fishery staff are working that aquarium every day, all day. And uh, like you mentioned, we got there's a bunch of presentations out there. We did a fish cleaning and cooking first day of the fair mm-hmm. and uh, served a lot of silver carp. Uh, and so that was kind of a fun. How did you serve those? <clears throat> so we did a demonstration. We had one of our uh, research biologists from the Mississippi River come over. Um, and he's really good at ta- explaining through how to actually flay a silver carp, what to cut around, what to keep. and. So is there a way to flay them with? And get the bones out? Yeah, so the kind of the cool thing I've noticed, I'm not real familiar with silver carp, is that those bones are, are pretty big. Yes. So unlike yeah. a common carp. I, I have filleted and ones. eaten silver carp before, did not get the bones out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're good, though. Like They're really good. I sawed, mate. sawed through them, all those bones and chunked them up like I like to and made fish nuggets. Yeah. You would take a bite. You'd have to pull the bones out of the nugget. And it's like, like eating a rib. <laughs> well, except each of them is, is, I don't know, like tiny. Yeah. I mean, well, tiny. They're not a rib bone. Yeah. You know, I'd take a bite and there'd be two or three and you'd have to pull them out. And I don't know. They're, they're not as big around as a pencil. Maybe half, like a quarter as big around as a pencil. 
but it was something that you had to be conscious kind of. Takes right. the enjoyment out of it, right? A little bit, right. yeah. Well, they taste good. I mean, people had no idea what they were eating. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a campaign, you know, to change the name of them to Copai to try to. Which I I think the idea is great. Mm-hmm. I I don't know about that name. Yeah, the name's kind of <laughs> different. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's something that's worked, especially in the saltwater world. Well, what was the one? Chilean sea bass, and before that, what what was oh. what was the name of before that? It was not obviously not as appealing because Chilean sea bass is like twenty dollars a pound or yeah. some crap like that. <laughs> yeah, now maybe mahi mahi was another one. That yeah, well, renamed. yeah, because they uh, they were they're called dolphin fish mm-hmm. or just dolphin. <laughs> then you can't just sell dolphin in the grocery <laughs> store. People be scratching their heads. But they're wonderful. But it's delicious. Yeah. It, it really is. I remember vividly the first time I ever had it. And uh, I think it was uh, Mahi Mahi Fish Tacos. And I I ate them all in short <laughs> order. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they show them how to clean lots of fish. That's one thing that we've noticed, especially in our urban areas, is there's a lot of people that like to fish, but there aren't a whole lot of people that know what to do with it once they've caught it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, how do you clean a channel cat? How do you... Fly a bluegill. Well, that's one thing I'd like to include more in my videos, but YouTube doesn't like that stuff. And I always worry about getting Mm -hmm. demonetized on there because that's kind of like my job and stuff. And And that's kind of a generational thing, I think, because my uncles taught me all that. You know what I mean? And maybe there's not a whole lot of that getting passed on. Probably not. uh, Nobody really taught me how to clean a fish. Like, I... You just struggled till you made it. Well, there was there was a lot of that, but we would go to Rathman in the summers, and there was a fish cleaning dock that I would catfish off of, right next to the no fishing sign, of course. That's <laughs> the best spot. In the Who's going to kick a twelve year old off the dock? <laughs> Nobody did, but there there was a pile of catfish there, which yeah. is well, yeah, was the appealing part of fishing. They hear the grinder turn on, and <laughs> right. here they come. I'd see people show up all day and watch them watch how they clean fish, and that's kind of where I picked it up. Yeah. And I was just lucky that I was in that situation where I could. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure if I asked my dad, he could have showed me how, but I just never did. Never yeah. had to after that, honestly. Yeah, it's something people are they're interested in. They mm-hmm. like to eat them. Yeah. yeah. So there's just a little bit of disconnect there, but it's something people have an interest in. No, I get that. So I... Man, it'd be tough for you to say it, like explain it through this medium of strictly audio. But was there, what's the gist for getting the bones out of the silver carp? Like, was there a multi, like a pile of steps, or was there just like one little thing to get them out? Take the back straps. No, there was That's some it. steps. Yeah, it wasn't like. Is it more complicated than getting the Y bones? That's out what I was just going to talk about. Was the Y bones? <laughs> I mean, he made it look not as complicated. There are a lot of well, videos that's... on how to clean Asian carp on. Okay, so there are um, videos like that yeah. out there. I think there might be one on our DNR website. I can't remember, but, but I just imagine this guy filleting the silver carp and making it look easy. And then I'm thinking of every time I've done a DIY project, and you watch the video, <laughs> and you're like, "This guy did it in ten minutes," which. In, for me, equals about two hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure my fish went rot. <laughs> went rot. <laughs> That's how I started <laughs> So you, you haven't done, it sounds like you haven't done a ton of surveying in the ponds. Do you, do you participate in any other surveying? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've well, hit you, almost every pond. 
oh, in you the Moines area. Okay. At least once. Gotcha. Um, and That's 130 surveys. Yeah, it's a lot of surveys. I mean, it's been over a six-year period, I guess. Okay. Um, so this is an annual Which you almost have to thing. let it sit for Yeah, a while. we don't hit them annually. Mm-hmm. We're trying to... We definitely... There's a couple times that we're, we'll check them. One is probably a year, maybe the second year after we've initially stocked it. Okay. Just to ensure that those fish are there, that they're growing like they're supposed to. Um, yeah, we'll check them if we start hearing some issues of, you know, maybe we've had a fish kill in that location or, you know, we get lots of complaints that nobody's catching anything or something like that. And then we've got a few that are more of our, some of the larger ones are more of our priority water bodies that we'll yeah. try to get, get hit to. all the time. Yep. Very popular water bodies. So what what would lead to a fish kill that? So there's a lot of things. A lot of environmental factors uh, can can switch things, like a light switch. Uh, can be a harsh temperature changes. Um, you know, a bunch of really hot, cloudy days. Lots of vegetation. Why the why the cloudy have anything to do with it? So you've got, especially if it's extremely cloudy and it's really hot. You've got issues with um, creating oxygen. You've got um, respiration. You've got lots of things going on that can help potentially turn that pond over. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also seen things like uh, you have really hot days, and then you've got a real cold rain come through. That's another thing that shocks it. We've seen kind of shock it, but it can also, you know, a lot of these ponds are going to be stratified. Mm-hmm. And so. You know, they could be three feet, four feet stratified, and then all of a sudden you add in a bunch of 60-degree water to it. And it turns <laughs> it over could abruptly. potentially turn it over. Um, vegetation die-offs, plankton die-offs, those are probably the main issues. Going to winter kill problems, we, we've been pretty lucky in a lot of these. I don't typically see a ton of winter kill issues, but if we've got well, a lot of long, enough. prolonged uh, ice with a lot of snow cover, probably the... The main winter kill issues we see are gizzard shad. Yeah. That, that I typically see are, are gizzard shad dying through the winter. And they seem to be the most susceptible to mm-hmm. that everywhere. I yep. mean, that's the basis. That's why they breed by the millions. Because well, <laughs> they, they die by the millions. And that's the basis of the ice out channel cat bite is yes. the idea that gizzard shad are going to die and then get pushed up on the windblown shores and that's where all the catfish are. They go are. munching. Yeah. And that's... That's pretty real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty awesome, it's very actually. Effective. Yes. I never thought a pond stratifying, though, like just because they're so, they're so much smaller than yeah. your larger lakes. Uh, are there ponds that are so small they don't stratify because there's enough water movement, or Potentially, are they pretty much all stratifying? I'm going to guess they probably, it's probably pretty close to all of them, uh-huh. um, especially if they don't have any sort of diffuser or, or aeration system mm-hmm. in them. Even some of those could potentially stratify if the aeration system is not or they're so big or they're too big. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's probably a good chance that, and I'm speculating, that a lot of them will stratify temporarily a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, you think of some of these one to two acre ponds are draining hundreds of acres. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, well, we, I mean that's what they're built for. Typically, yeah. see them drain like. 20, 20 to one, like a water lake to watershed ratio. Okay. So for an acre of storage, you would drain twenty acres. Um, that would be what we would typically see in more of a rural environment. Mm-hmm. Some of these urban ones are like seventy to one, hundred to one. What leads to that then? So some of it is just how they're developed, 
right? Mm-hmm. So there's kind of an equation of I need this much storage for this big a development. Okay. And I'm and we don't know what this development over here is going to be yet. But it, it may drain that. It may not, depending on how things are, are yeah. graded. Well, and I suppose that, uh, in, not engineers, but land development specialists, mm-hmm. they're trying to maximize the amount of land that is developed oh, and minimize yes. the amount of water retention necessary. Right. Yeah. So I guess that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think there's, um, you know, there's probably a, a divide in there somewhere between houses likely sell for more money that are built against a water body. So you've got some sort of feature there mm-hmm. yeah. and being able to add, you know, 10 that more extra homes. House. Yeah. So you're, you're thinking that these, they stratify temporarily because the watershed's large enough that there's enough influx of new water that turns things right. over. Gotcha. Potentially. Sure. I was going to say the last few years. Nope. Right. <laughs> well, and, and some of these ponds are built with, 20 to 1 watersheds, but the difference between, you know, a pond in, in the middle of suburbia and a pond out in the middle of your field is this pond's watershed is like 80% impervious, which means that water's not soaking in anywhere. It's concrete. It's concrete, yes. yeah. And so that yeah. water's pushing through there fast. Mm-hmm. And so that's you're true. seeing large influxes of water at a time. And I think that's probably what, I, th- I think they probably do stratify, but it, some of them may be short term. Sure. Yeah. That is one thing, development and then waterways and or how that development impacts waterways because the increasing size of watersheds with impervious mm-hmm. um, substrates where that leads to more water going in and more water going out. And then I think of like the rivers that we fish and how a lot of them have been channelized and all all of the tiling that leads to water levels shooting up and then dropping very rapidly and how that's so unnatural, but it's amazing to me that so many of the fish ha- still do okay. Yeah, you yeah. know, yeah, it's kind of like a flood pulse but, simulation, but, <laughs> right? But it's it's so different from what they've evolved mm-hmm. over the course of time to deal with. Yeah. and then they have these new conditions thrown at them, and then we still have sustainable f- fisheries. I don't know; it kind of blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you think of how long you know our our ear, you know. Not the irrigation, but the actual tiling has been intact. They've had time to evolve and adapt. Well, you understand what evolution is, right? (laughs) I mean, the individuals don't evolve. Populations do. Yeah, because the strongest survive. Right. But how many generations have there been in the last, what, 100 years of tiling? Like, when 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 did tiling become a thing? Probably 60s, 70s. Yeah, you're talking about 50 years versus millions of years of evolutions that's led up to this point and like they've never had to deal with any of that like evolution doesn't occur overnight no but the strongest genetics will prevail overnight well per generation per generation so you're talking and you're not talking about a you know a generation of 20 years you're talking about a generation of you know bait fish you're talking three four years yeah they 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 the more populations that turn over in a shorter amount of time those those things evolve quicker but like this is such an abrupt change over the course of our seven was a 7 billion year old planet you know like yeah. like well we're always throwing monkey wrenches at them but, but my my <laughs> point Let's try is this. like these species have not evolved to deal with tiling yeah like let, let's adapt let, let's be real a walleye from pre-tiling is not any really any different than a walleye today 
but they've so still... now they can't reproduce. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, and I guess that's the other side of it too. I didn't even think. I was thinking more like catfish yeah. than bring up walleyes. Walleyes are native to our waterways, and now they can't reproduce, so they have to be supplemented through stocking. Yeah. And I guess at least people like to fish for them. Otherwise, yeah. they'd probably be gone too. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. They didn't have their namesake. There probably wouldn't be uh, many around. Yeah. On a happier note, uh, <laughs> this was weird. We emailed each other at the same time today. Yeah. Like the weird. exact same. Like mine <laughs> was 248. Email. Yours said 248. <laughs> I've never done that before, and that was weird. <laughs> you are now the winner. Yeah. And we asked the same question Are we good for tonight? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So that that's a terrible segue into the next thing, but <laughs> but it just needed noted. It needed noted. <laughs> so it's not really a segue. It's just something that needed noted. And then the next thing is just something I'm genuinely curious about. Like, what was the focus of your research when you were working on your your PhD, master's, PhD, whatever? Yeah, I did my master's at uh, Mississippi State, mm-hmm. and my focus <clears throat> was it had it had evolved. <laughs> since from the time I went down there to when I left sure and it was as, focused, as it does yeah those it was things focused do. on ponds and it was originally going to be looking at some of the differences between in the south they fertilize ponds and so looking at some of the differences between why uh for increased productivity okay and so a lot of their soils down there are very clay oh and so there's a whole okay. lot of nutrient base gotcha so a lot of infertility i guess as far as the soil goes but so looking at some of the bluegill populations and some of their dynamics between fertilized and unfertilized systems when we got into it a little more we decided to take it a little different route and actually look at um, potentially how fertilizer and and or how this that type of fertilizer and um, unfertilized ponds look from more of a bottom-up type of a thing sure so to see if you could actually tell what that fishery was gonna be or what it would look like by looking at sediment nutrients and benthic macroinvertebrates (laughs) (laughs) old macroinvertebrates and so as you can imagine in ponds uh diversity is not there uh for well not not compared to a river or a a reservoir large reservoir or anything sure but so looking at those things, can you kind of manage what a fish population is going to do mm-hmm. or look like based on its nutrient content? Well, and that's a great segue into the position you're at now, except it's probably the opposite. Yeah, it's kind of a weird... You know, like now you deal way, with but, nutrient overload yeah. instead of not having enough <laughs> right. of them. Yeah, a lot of my nutrient stuff down there looked at what's called bioavailable phosphorus, Okay, which is phosphorus will be attached to sediment. When mm-hmm. it's underwater, but when you add oxygen, it'll pop off. Okay. And then when you reflood an area, you've got an explosion of algae. And so okay. when you see a lot of water level changes, all of a sudden you start to see lots of algal blooms. Mm-hmm. Or brand new ponds will always have some sort of algae problem because that's what's going to eat up those nutrients right away. Gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah. At first I thought this project isn't all that fun. But it's actually become quite handy, you know, a decade down the road. Yeah. 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 <laughs> when you go to the farming capital of the world. <laughs> I know what's going on here. Yeah. I've seen this before. <laughs> so what would you say, like you, you have this urban 
fisheries, the, these urban fisheries that you mm-hmm. manage, like what's the overarching goal that you have for, for these fisheries? Yeah. So there, it's probably a twofold okay. goal or three, multifold, let's say. <laughs> <coughs> so <laughs> we're going to touch them all. Okay, <laughs> perfect. So the whole thing is, is fisheries, ma- kind of the definition of fisheries management is what this program, what I like to think this program works with, and that is the cities are providing you an opportunity to fish, and the DNR as a partner, we're providing the opportunity to catch fish. Mm-hmm. So they've got mm-hmm. the location, they're managing the location, they mow the grass, they're spraying vegetation, we bring the fish in. Mm-hmm. And so continuing that partnership, which hasn't always been there, I mean, seeing the DNR at city council meetings and park board meetings is not something I think you typically see. I'd never heard of it. Not only across the state, but across the country. And that's something that we've kind of become accustomed to. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been at a lot of our city council meetings and we're a welcome presence because we, they bring things to the table and we bring things to the table. Yeah. And you're not not an asshole. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Spencer has been uninvited to many (laughs) city council meetings, (laughs) but it's, it's the benefit of the residents and benefit of our anglers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like here in the Des Moines area, there's probably somewhere to fish. If you include the river, both rivers, yeah, there's probably somewhere to publicly fish within a 10 minute drive of all three quarter million people here. Oh, it le- which you, is you might be able to argue even knock that down to seven eight minutes. Yeah, yeah, and so I I can be fishing within three minutes of my house. Absolutely, it, like three maximum. Three. Yeah. Well, I'd have to walk. Like I'd be in the parking lot in three minutes. Right. Then have to walk another minute and a half. Is it the cat? It's yeah. the cat. <laughs> we we have a what so, you doing, guys? So we're we're in the basement right now, and. Our neighbors have a stalker cat <laughs> that'll poke his head through the window. Oh, Jingles. Yeah. <laughs> Elle is a fan. I don't like him very much. I think he's creepy. <laughs> it, anyway, I could be fishing in three minutes. That's so the, could he. So could he. And so that's the, the hope, I guess, is that we've got those places for, for people to go. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I like to think of these urban stormwater ponds are kind of the new age farm pond you know a lot of people oh, absolutely our age grew up fishing farm ponds that's where we got introduced to fishing mm-hmm. except now, you don't need permission you just yeah, go you just go <laughs> you know there's something really cool about stopping at a fairly major intersection in an urban area and you see you know 10 kids on a bikes with fishing rods yes. and tackle boxes yes yeah. crossing that intersection you know hit just hitting little ponds off these trails it's it's awesome well, and that that kind of uh, I don't know makes the pain a little more bearable. Just driving around the other day, I could, you'd see all these all the cement going everywhere. You know, all these gra- gravel roads that aren't gravel anymore. The, all all these um, county blacktops are now nice paved, have curbs on the side, so you can't pull over and park and fish the little creeks by them and stuff and. That stuff kind of makes me sad, mm-hmm. but to know that there's a program in place that takes advantage of or helps people utilize these new bodies of water and, and creates like quality fisheries for yeah, yeah for I was people. gonna say several of them are pretty hot. It's yeah, hot. it's pretty pretty Consistent. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something that you know we're as a DNR we're not building new lakes in the suburban. 
metro areas of our state. Yeah, but other people are. are. Yeah. yeah, and uh, you know, and they're willing to work with us on it, and it's another opportunity, another recreation, just like baseball or softball or soccer that that the cities market on their websites. Mm-hmm. Fishing's one of those one of those things. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's pretty sweet. And you stocked albino catfish. I'm going to go catch them. <laughs> <laughs> there's, just a, there's a few albino catfish around from a few years ago, yeah. That was the th- you you. I haven't told you, Ryan. I haven't told anybody listening either. I was out <laughs> bait fishing, and I saw an albino catfish swimming around <laughs> like a foot or two underwater, and I just was like, <gasps> I got to catch it. I have to catch it. <laughs> and, and I was sitting here this whole time thinking there was only one. And then Tyler shows up. And he's like, "Oh yeah, we stocked a pile of them in there." <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what year it was. Which up your odds? We did a Facebook yeah. Live, I think, on it when we were stocking that. Okay. Day. And for whatever reason, I don't know the reasoning behind it, but there was a bunch of albinos in that. Just happened to be in got. the. So genetic. that definitely increases the odds that I'm going to catch an albino catfish, and you can bet your ass I'm going to try. <laughs> there's there's definitely a potential out there. He was probably like three four pounds. Yeah, he wasn't a dink. That'd be a good video. Yeah, yeah. I've seen a cut. Like I said, I've seen a couple variations of them. I've seen some white ones like pop up on social media. Mm-hmm. They're white, pink eyed. Yeah, and then there's some that are like a bright yellow. Like I've seen those too. Yellow. Not around here, but like I've never seen an albino catfish. I've seen a the piebald one you caught. Yeah, that's the Down only. South. And there's quite a few in that reservoir. Too. There are. There yeah. are. Have you ever stocked any piebalds? Not to my knowledge. Okay. Do you know what leads to that? I'm sure it's a genetic variation similar to yeah. being albino, but... Yeah, I, I'm not sure. It's, I think it's more rare than an albino, actually, in, in nature. Okay. Because, like, uh, I put that post that picture up when we went on our trip, and one of my buddies that I went to school with actually got into raising, like, aquarium fish. Okay. And he said pieballs is one of the rarest versions of each species i'm trying to think i've heard of them in that reservoir and i feel like i've heard of them i mean the mississippi Mm -hmm. i think i've heard of them there but not not like that reservoir yeah And, and i saw a dude posted a picture back in the forum days back when there was fishing forums and people were actually on them yeah uh it was a 45 pounder wow that was it almost had no natural coloration at all. It was really? all white and black. It looked like a, uh, a cow. Jersey yeah, cow. Yeah. <laughs> and it was almost as big as a cow. <laughs> That's cool. No, I imagine. The, well, so well, you, you you think about it in a reservoir that size, the genetics are going to cross a lot more than in a river system. Yeah, there's less. Think. Well, there's a. I mean, a reservoir they can run up that river. That's true. Yeah. But most, most of them have a home range of that that's reservoir. That's a 20,000-acre reservoir. Yeah. That's bigger than the biggest reservoir in Iowa. Slightly. Slightly bigger than our biggest reservoir. But I would say per water acre, there's probably a higher population of blue cat in that river than there is probably... De- definitely more than in, in our <laughs> reservoirs. <laughs> no, well, I mean... Depends in, on who you ask. In most rivers... <laughs> I would say the population of blue cat per water acre is higher than most rivers. Yeah, that's it's the the amount of blue catfish in there is stupid. No. Um, but as far as how that impacts genetics, I don't know. I would think the the more fish would lead to 
more, I don't know. I, I'm because not a geneticist. They're, they're apex. So, I mean, having a discoloration that would make you more susceptible to prey wouldn't fall into... Oh, you're you know, saying because the population of blue cats trumps a lot of other yes. species that they have fewer so predators. If, if you're bright white and you stick out when you're young, you got a better chance of surviving than you would sure. where there's there's other species that would dine on you. But it's interesting, too, that you don't see the albinos still in that reservoir. It's all piebalds. Yeah. And even though they're white, they're also black. And that it's all white sticks out. Like That's sore true. thumb, yeah. But white and black gives you a little Get a bit of little camo, edge. not a, not yeah. as much. But hang maybe. out near the rocks a little more. You know, but, <laughs> but you play the numbers, large enough numbers over large enough times. I would bet more piebalds survive than albinos. That, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. S- sounds logical. I don't know. Yeah, you know. But one, what I was gonna say is, you never hear about, or at least I never hear about, albino flatheads. Or piebald flatheads. No. No. And Yellow, wonder, green, brown. That's about it. <laughs> right. And I'd say I'd wonder if it was because they, they can change their colors slightly, but so can blues and channels. Yeah. You know, you, you oh, catch yeah. a, a blue cat out of the Mississippi when it's chocolate milk and you, you pull them out of 60 feet of water and they are almost white enough where you think they are albinos. Yes. Yeah. And then you catch a blue cat out of deep or shallow, clear water, especially rocky stuff, and they're blue. almost black. Yeah. Some of them are almost blue. black, yeah. So I don't know. It's just flat. That just prove, like continues to prove flatheads are just different. They're just weirdos. <laughs> they That's probably why I like them. And you know somewhere in the genetic pool there's a variation of albinism. I think some just, of it also comes from... There aren't many states, if any, that actually propagate flatheads. Like oh, that they and reproduced in the hatchery, mm-hmm. like yeah. blues and channels are. That's Is true. there any stocking of flatheads anywhere that you're aware of? I mean, I know there's been some projects. I th- you know, like the Iowa DNR. Used, we've I know there's some in the past. Some flatheads in some of your ponds that uh, I'm sure some bucket biologists there, yeah, threw in there. There but. are a few flatheads swimming around. I mean, I've seen some <laughs> some graduate projects that. You know, I'm trying to trying to raise flatheads. It's doable, but it's one of those things they just they like to cannibalize and they mm-hmm. do it real fast. And yeah. your end product usually isn't worth what it's what you need yeah. it to be. Yeah, you got they're... three big ones, <laughs> <laughs> and they're they're worth about four hundred dollars a piece at this point in time or more. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's one thing too. I suppose the higher you go up the food chain the harder they are to rear in a hatchery, and then the, the more money's invested into each one of them. I think we were asking like Jeff. Muskie's, Muskie's a good example of that as well. Yeah, well, so Jeff Kapaska, somebody we had on the podcast before, you you and, and Jeff do pod, or podcast radio shows mm-hmm. regularly, and we asked him how much do you think each muskie is worth? Because I'd heard... That every muskie stocked is worth twenty. I don't. I maybe twenty five bucks. I have no idea. I didn't know if you'd quantified that. I hadn't. I should have before is we. The, is there somebody that does? Yeah, I mean, our, I'm sure the data is there. Yeah, somewhere. our hatchery systems try to figure out what their ad, what their annual costs are mm-hmm. per fish for each species. 
I would I would like to know what the most expensive fish that gets stocked is. I'm I'm betting it's muskies. That would be my guess, but but yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, mm-hmm. we're stocking those at a fairly large size. I was gonna say winter them and and at least one year, don't you? Yeah, I mean they're twelve thirteen inches long. I think mm-hmm. when they go in. So. How fast do they grow? Because they they live a while, but they don't live any longer than walleyes, do they? I mean, getting out of my knowledge base. <laughs> You're the pond Being guy. Able to answer that. <laughs> He's gonna paraphrase. Well, let's let's preface this. Tyler's the pond guy. <laughs> So he can't be an expert in everything, you know. Just cause but he still has more knowledge than we do. Oh, that's putting it lightly. Yeah, I don't, the muskies are one of those species I just I don't have a ton of experience with. Well, just speculate with us, just just for the entertainment's sake. I mean, they're probably running the same age wise as as our walleye populations are. That was one thing that surprised me was to find out how long lived walleyes are. Yeah, especially the further north you go. Mm-hmm. Which I still butcher as many walleyes as I possibly can. <laughs> you let your share go, though, if they're good ones. Yeah, yeah, but... There's a lot of people that do not. I There's some fish I feel bad about killing. Like, a big walleye I would feel bad. Uh, flathead I would feel bad. Um, most of it centers around large fish that take a long time to get large. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, wipers kill them all (laughs) they don't live that long they grow really fast and they are 100 percent like produced in a lab yes not reproducing yeah so um i I mean delicious they're okay they're they're (laughs) solid you you cut that mud vein out of them Mm -hmm. they make a fine fish taco they make a great fish taco (laughs) yes and i mean most fish do don't get me wrong but yeah there's something about wiper fish tacos that i really appreciate (laughs) I don't know if it's the texture. Like, it's more of a dense It is meat. a very yeah. dense meat, yeah. But, yeah, taco's a preferred method. 100%. <laughs> I fried some catfish today. Did you? I should make catfish tacos, too, but I just made them as is. Yeah. I was on a riverbank. Condiments. The planning involved to bring the condiments. I'm not a big planning guy. <laughs> just to go with the Let's flow. Let's see what here. happens. Yeah. <laughs> see if i catch anything i don't want to jinx it and have all these condiments <laughs> sitting around and then not catch anything what'd you like, have for lunch limes <laughs> <laughs> limes and hot sauce delicious yeah <laughs> so tell us about some of your fishing tyler like you you snuck out and did a little fishing before you came here but uh, uh like do you fish these ponds regularly, or would you? Are ponds your preferred place to fish, or are you hitting he's, other bodies? He's got to research. Too? Yeah, yeah, yeah got to research. <laughs> I mean, I like to hit these urban ponds. Like, they're all different. Mm-hmm. They all have something different to offer. They're also something that uh, some of these parks that the cities have built around a lot of these ponds are immaculate. <laughs> yes, so, uh, there's yes. lots of awesome playgrounds and let the kids run around so yeah so there's been a lot of times where i've been fishing certain places and thought all the kids would like to come here and and yeah we've ended up multitasking they'll they'll fish with me some when they get tired of doing that they've got a playground nearby there's bathrooms at a lot of these Mm -hmm. so there's the amenities are there that you know not only makes it so i like to go there but also the family can go there too sure and so I find myself hitting a lot of these urban ponds. But I like to fish 
I, I like to catfish on the river. I, I'm very simple. I like my stink bait. I like my strawberry chicken. And uh, you got to worry about E. coli when you use the strawberry chicken. Though. Yeah, I mean, I don't eat it, but lick my fingers or anything. <laughs> That's but, good. You got to worry good. about more when you use stink bait. So who knows what that is? <laughs> but and I do that on the on these urban ponds too. Yeah, um, they, we like catching catfish. The girls know what they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got whiskers. They're cool looking. They're big, and uh, I, I I tend to stay fairly close. I do. My dad got me into fishing. My grandpa. I mean, we've hit a lot of lakes in Minnesota and Canada and the Dakotas, mm-hmm. and uh, so I like to do my do walleye fishing and cast for northerns and all that kind of stuff too. But you said you went to Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. Are you an Iowa native? I am. Yeah. So what took you down there? Grad school. Okay. So I Where, did my, where's uh, your undergrad at then? South Dakota State. Okay. And so I started at, at Iowa Central. Community college. So were you you were cheering State. against the Hawkeyes last week at the Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I was I was pulling for the Jackrabbits. Yeah. They held their own. They did. Yeah, they it was an ugly own. game. Yeah. yeah might no. be a long season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they held their own. It'll be a short one. They might not have a bull game. <laughs> oh, they'll find one. Yeah, they will. <laughs> they travel like the fans travel well with the yes. Hawks. They'll find a they'll a bowl find game a bowl for game. Them. No, I, I get that. And I, I've learned a lot about how grad school functions mm-hmm. since my wife went to grad school. And I guess a lot of it is just finding the right uh, professor to work with. Yep. So did you go to Mississippi State with the hope to work, do pond management? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I've always had an interest in ponds mm-hmm. in general. I think there's there's a lot of potential there. You know, there's a lot of things you can do with a pond. Well, you can have a real direct impact. You can, like, when you get on these big, complex, diverse bodies of water, it's like, how much can you really yeah, positively yeah. improve on them? You know, because the watershed is what it is. The and then from the ground up, it is what it is. And manipulating yeah, those things you can is manipulate tough. Them. Um, I don't know. It's just always been an interest of mine for whatever reason. I think that's very human. Like, there's a lot of people who, I mean, I dream a little bit, not as much as some people of having my own pond that I can manage Mm -hmm. the way that I want to manage. I I, I totally get it. Yeah. And you duck hunt and stuff, too. So you like the smaller water? Yeah, I like to duck hunt. Uh, Turkey hunt is probably my favorite hunting activity. I'm trying to get into deer hunting uh, a little more. So I want to hear what you think about duck hunting and turkey hunting and why you like it. And I'll tell, um, it's interesting that you like turkey hunting and duck hunting, which makes me think you like turkey hunting for the same reason I do. <laughs> and, and my, my, my reason that I really enjoy spring turkey hunting, well, I guess fall turkey hunting would follow the same too, but I just don't do it is you get to talk to them. Yeah. And I suppose duck hunting is a similar deal. Yeah. Trying to outsmart them. Yeah, I don't know what I'm saying to them. Right. <laughs> Sometimes it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds cool. Did you grow up duck hunting and turkey hunting then? A little bit duck hunting, not a whole lot. My college roommates when I was at South Dakota State got me into to duck hunting. Sure. Um, my in-laws duck hunt quite a bit, and so I've gotten into doing that. Had some I turkey hunted a couple times growing up. Um, it wasn't something my dad did a lot, um, but when I moved back up here, um, had some friends that got into it and took me out and 
Like, I can get into this. Like, Man, this is awesome. <laughs> and it's not freezing. Like, I could throw true. a long sleeve t shirt. This yeah. is true. Yeah. <laughs> and just walk out the door. I don't yeah. need to bundle up and plan on things. Like, and... oh, it's Although, 38 degrees and <laughs> pouring rain. There's going to be ducks everywhere. <laughs> Although, this year, spring turkey hunting was cold. It was cold. Yeah. And the funny thing about that, the only reason I mentioned that is because I froze my balls off. And then I said, no more of this. I'm going to buy a nice camo jacket. And it arrived just as the heat wave came through <laughs> for season. So it, it has never been worn other yeah. than to make sure it yeah. fits. And it's sitting in the closet over there right now. And it'll just, be lost by next yeah. season. Right. <laughs> right. I, I could be more successful, but I'm a very fair weather hunter at this point. No, I mean, the, the whole point is to enjoy your time yeah. out there. Yeah. So you're not the, trying to survive. Right. Yeah, if the yeah. weather sucks to the point you're not having fun, like, why go? Yeah. Well. <laughs> Unless you're obsessed. Like, <laughs> well, okay. I've spent a lot more money in recent years on clothes to make my time outdoors enjoyable Absolutely. than I yes. have on a lot of other things yeah. that I normally would have. And I'm an advocate that there isn't any real bad weather, just bad clothes. And you can set yourself up to be comfortable in almost anything. Yeah, if I'm ever cold, I'm mad at myself because I know I have the equipment to yes. not be yes. cold. Yeah, the <laughs> technology's there. And that's like the most annoying thing. Yeah. Like, you nailed it. Yeah. Like, I have a jacket in my truck, <laughs> but it's a mile away, yeah. and, and I'll just stick it out and be miserable. Yeah. Well, I think uh, this leads us to our last cast. Uh, the last cast... Oh. We go back and forth on whether we're, we're going to call it the last cast or whatever. You seem to be pretty committed to the last cast. It's worked well. It's worked well. Okay. That's the only thing that's that's made it over a year. We started with the last cast. We still we still talk about the stuff floating down river. Occasionally. Occasionally. Yeah, there is no real segment to the podcast other than the last cast. Yeah. Anyway, it's just a chance for you to kind of send off with your last message and talk about things that you want to make sure everybody has a, you know, gets the chance to hear. All right. Yeah. Well, I just want to make sure people realize they need a fishing license. Oh, that is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy it online. Yeah. Buy it in a store. You buy it on our app, go outdoors app. Uh, the fish local page is a page on our website. That's a Google map of all these urban ponds that we've been talking about. So yeah. it's, it's a Google map for one, so that makes it pretty easy. You can just yes. click and, and press start, and it'll take you right to it. <laughs> uh, but I'm in the process of kind of upgrading that map a little bit. It's uh, It's been online since uh, May of 2017, and it topped over half a million views in the last week. That's cool. Uh, since then. So it gets viewed a lot. I've I've, I've contributed yeah. to several of those. <laughs> it gets viewed a lot. Uh and I've gotten a lot of questions on, at first it was, can I ice fish? And then can I kayak? And I've added some of those things on there because sure. some cities do have ordinances against right. ice fishing and kayaking and or for them. Uh, and now it's the amenities. And so the amenities are extremely important to the users of these places. Right. Yeah, if you're bringing a family especially. Family-friendly, ADA accessibility. Uh, and so that's kind of what my winter project is going to be. Cool. Is going through there and adding in, you know, does this place have a restrooms, playground, docks, all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. So the Fish Local page, make sure you check that out. And I just appreciate being on. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to do it again. We'll get 
Maybe next time we'll get you and Jeff at the same time because yeah. you're kind of the dynamic duo. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll be a good time. Yeah. Well, I, I want to, you know, I just met you today, but I want to thank you. And uh, it's just a great opportunity that so many people wouldn't have to fish in an urban area without this program. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people, especially like when I was growing up, way back in the 90s, you know, it just, there wasn't that opportunity. So everybody that, you know, like I went to college with that grew up in the cities, they didn't know what fishing was. Mm-hmm. You know, I I did a large, you know, part of my my college career, like teaching my roommates how to fish and things like right. that. So they just didn't have these opportunities. So that's amazing that it opens a lot of eyes to the to the sport absolutely and you don't you don't necessarily need i mean having an adult in your life to help mentor you or guide you towards outdoor activities whether it's fishing or whatever is is excellent but to have these public bodies of water that are so easily accessible a kid like a 14 15 year old kid with a bike and uh, you know a couple bucks to buy f- some fishing equipment can just roll over there yeah. without having to knock on some farmer's mm-hmm. door and build up the courage to do that to get permission they just they just go yeah, yeah. and they're they're there waiting for them, which is which is awesome like i grew up i had a creek a mile to the north a mile a mile to the east mm-hmm. i was fishing all the time right well now these people in you know urban areas have that same opportunity yep. mm-hmm. yeah yeah we're trying to get Working with the cities to get a lot of these signed, and so they'll have a fish local sign, they'll have a regulation sign on them. Yeah, you got so, a few of them around here, I've noticed. Yeah, so as long as, so even if if people don't aren't aware of the fish local page or the Google map or whatever, uh, at least there's signage at that location to let mm-hmm. them know that they're welcome to fish there. Yeah. If you could add species of bait fish in that, no, <laughs> don't don't tell everybody else. Just tell me. Just tell me. Just remember, I, I'm like ten people. Yeah. yeah. That's right. yeah. <laughs> the predator of the bait pond. That's right. I, I'm going to pull a lot of them out. <laughs> now, my I want to say a big thank thank you, Tyler, for for coming down here and, and doing this outside. I mean, this is part of your your work, mm-hmm. I guess. I wouldn't say requirements, but obligations. And but you still could have said, "No, nah, let's let's do this some other time." So no. you're doing it outside your normal work hours, and I really appreciate yeah. it. Yes. Yeah, and uh, I guess another one is thank thank you Bigfoot Bushcraft for <laughs> for sponsoring this podcast. And if you want to get some fire starters, you can use promo code Spencer Bauer, and that you save ten percent. Then winter's you coming. You yeah. want to stay warm? Yeah, you want Bushcraft. Stay, that's right. You don't have to think about starting your fire. They just kind of do it for you. It's pretty nice. And then uh, the other one's Waterland sunglasses, and that promo code's RC fifteen. And I guess another thing, share share the social media posts, share the podcast. Yeah. It helps spread this around, helps get out the good message like Tyler's doing to help uh, sustain and promote and grow urban fisheries for anybody who wants to fish them, mm-hmm. which, is, yeah. which is awesome. And the more people who are aware of that and can take advantage of that, and the better off everything is. So uh, if you want to share this, I'd really appreciate it. And thanks for taking time to listen. Hope you catch giant. Thanks, guys. Thanks.
Vote now in Waypoint TV's 2023 Series Showdown. Your favorite hunting and fishing shows are going head-to-head. -head. Visit waypointtv.com to vote and be entered to win a giveaway from Element Outdoors. Cast your votes during each round until the champions are crowned. Get in the game and vote in the Series Showdown. Presented by Expedition Enterprises and Vote Trader. Only at waypointtv.com. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.